Welcome to the Estate Planning Made Simple podcast by LSPN, one of the nation's largest and best estate planning networks. The information provided on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. All information, content, and materials available on this podcast are for general information purposes only. Just a little bit about my background. Um, not used to introducing myself, but you know, I've been an attorney for 27 years. I have a private firm in Encino called the Law Offices of Gerald Kane, and I've been helping families and businesses uh, for the last 27 years, you know, minimize taxes, uh, put in place um, plans to protect their families and their kids and special needs planning and business planning and you name it, I've, I've probably done it. Um, I am a certified specialist in estates, trusts, and probate law, um, and I have... Um, I am um, in the top 5% of attorneys in California. I'm the managing attorney for Southern California for our law firm, Intervivos, which is based out of Utah, where I think we have approximately 100 attorneys in 26 states and seven countries. And I've appeared on TV shows um, and, you know, I I'm, I'm, have spoken at many, many different uh, uh, charities, including the Alzheimer's charity. Um, I've spoken for Alzheimer's, epilepsy, uh, Parkinson's. Um, I do a lot of Medi-Cal planning and a lot of asset protection planning as well. So I'm in a, I've done a lot of speaking for them because I enjoy educating and I enjoy, you know, getting information out that can help people. So today we're going to talk about, you know, the importance of having a state plan in place, hopefully prior to when you actually need it which is one of the biggest problems people have is that, you know, they, they think that they're hopping on an airplane and that they, you know, got to get an estate plan in place or, you know, sometimes something bad happens and that's when people finally do it. Um, I was one of those people. I'll tell you my story in a minute, but today we're going to go through some of the real differences, you know, between a will and a trust. And I'm going to help you understand why it's super essential to have a, durable power of attorney in place for financial management, a healthcare power of attorney, and a medical privacy waiver. So <clears throat> believe it or not, 69% of Americans die without a will or any plan whatsoever. Shocking. You know, maybe you don't think you need a plan. Maybe you think I'm young and nothing's gonna happen to me. But let me, I'm gonna tell you my own personal story. You know, I was 37 years old when I found out that my first wife was diagnosed with terminal thyroid cancer. I ended up taking care of her for the next three years. Um, she passed right on her 40th birthday. And, um, you know, two little girls, one of them with special needs, which is why special needs planning is really near and dear to my heart. And I, I do a lot of special needs planning. And I think I'm a real expert in that area. Um, and... So, um, you know, I was one of those people who didn't have any plan in place, no will, no trust. And, you know, I was able to scramble and get my wife to scribble out on a piece of, of paper, you know, that she wanted to leave assets to me. And it was kind of a last ditch thing. But, you know, luckily, you know, she passed away and, uh, you know, there wasn't a major issue involved there, but there could have been had I not had a plan in place. And, I did sit down and get my plan in place shortly after that because then it became even, even more important to have a plan in place. So you have to do planning now, you know, before you lose capacity, before you're, you're too sick to be able to talk or write. And we're going to talk about, you know, some things today that's going to give you an idea what happens if you don't plan 
and how to put a proper estate plan in place. <clears throat> so you're off at college, uh, maybe they get injured, you're unable to communicate with them, they're 2,000 miles away across the country, the school won't communicate with you either because of medical privacy rules. And so you may find yourself, you know, with your son or daughter who just got injured, they're in the hospital, you can't get any information, you're frustrated because the hospitals and doctors won't talk to you. So at 18, you need to have at a minimum in place a financial power of attorney, which allows somebody to manage your financial affairs and sign contracts on your behalf and tax returns and all kinds of things. And a healthcare directive um, in California, we call it an advanced healthcare directive, but it's a healthcare power of attorney or a healthcare proxy, which allows somebody to make medical decisions for you and a medical privacy waiver, which allows you to communicate with doctors and hospitals and contain and obtain confidential medical information. Now, part of your plan, a lot of times people think planning is all about what happens if I die. Well, planning should be all about what happens if I live. And part of your plan should be a life plan, which is protecting things while you're alive, incapacity planning and asset protection planning. A lot of people think that your plan only protects you while you're gone, but it's also gonna protect you while you're alive, getting capacitated, or you're alive and get stuck in rush hour traffic. I actually had a client who came to me, his wife had advanced Alzheimer's, they had done no planning. They were in their 60s, had done absolutely no planning whatsoever, no will, no trust. No. He had no real assets, he was using her 401k to try to take care of her. And so she had assets and she deserved to be taken care of in the way that you know, she wanted to or would have liked to if she had been able to express it. And so he came to me and said, well, I don't know what to do because I just found out that um, he was using her assets without authority. And I, so he came to me and I said, well, have you done any, any prior planning? He said, no. I said, well, you don't have a financial power of attorney, so there's no way we're going to get them to be able to allow you to use the assets. We're going to have to go to court and do what we call a living probate. Some states call this a guardianship. California calls it a conservatorship. Different states have different names for it. But basically what it means is the court takes over and you ask the court to be able to sign on your behalf, to be able to manage your affairs if, if you're unable to do so. So you're not in control, the court's in control and they get to decide who this person's gonna be, who's going to be managing your assets, who's gonna be in charge, and you're gonna have to do a regular accounting to the court. Well, we, we started getting this in place and um, before we were able to get the husband appointed, he passed away. So now we had to go find a professional conservator um, because she had no family. Her only family was in Texas. And the, you know, we, got, we finally got the conservatorship in place, not to mention it cost tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars to do all this. And we were concerned, well, what happens if she passes away? Her state's gonna end up in probate, which we're gonna talk about in a minute is a process that's very time consuming and very expensive, costing up to 5% of your assets. And something also you wanna avoid at all costs, um, the probate. So, you know, there is a way, um, I don't recommend relying upon this, but there's a way you can ask the court to put in place a plan on her behalf and substitute the court's judgment for what she would have done. So we were going to actually put that process in place and guess what happened? She passed away. 
So now we had to probate the estate. So the bottom line is, you know, this ended up costing them hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees and costs and, and, and all kinds of things and a big headache that they could have avoided had they just done planning as early as they possibly could. So again, every plan you want to have a durable power of attorney, which is going to allow somebody to be able to um, manage things like your 401k if you're unable to do it or sign contracts on your behalf or complete a real estate transaction or transfer assets into your trust if you have a trust. And not all powers of attorney are created the same. So a lot of times what the typical estate planning attorney does is they put provisions in a power of attorney that may prevent a elder law attorney such as myself to be able to do what we need to do. So, you know, what I always say is what is the difference between an estate planning attorney and an elder law attorney? Well, elder law attorneys do everything estate planning attorneys do, but estate planning attorneys don't do everything elder law attorneys do. We do, we do different things. We do a lot more things. And there needs to be, especially in some states like California, you might want to have flexibility built into your power of attorney with special provisions that allow you to qualify for benefits like Medi-Cal, uh, Medicaid, it's called in other states, or veterans benefits. And if you don't have provisions that say that you can specifically give away assets or create a trust on somebody's behalf, you can't do it. So don't try to do a power of attorney on your own. Don't try to pick one up in the bookstore. It may not be the right kind. Um, it may not do what you want it to do. Again, you really want to make sure you do this kind of planning right and work with an attorney. A healthcare directive, it's going to allow somebody to make medical decisions for you. Um, if you're unable to communicate and, and make those decision, decisions on your own and what kind of life support measures you might want. And a HIPAA directive, the Health Insurance Protection and Accountability Act, which prevents people from talking to doctors and hospitals. This is a HIPAA medical waiver, which will allow you to have access to that information. And as part of your plan, you're going to want to have a will or a trust. So your estate plan needs to include a transfer plan that's going to allow for the smooth transfer of your estate, your assets, avoid conflicts between family members, minimize taxes, and avoid probate. So first of all, you need to understand what is an estate. An estate is everything you own and everything you control. So some people think they don't need to do estate planning because they don't have an estate. Well, first of all, what I usually find is that people who are under 50 will typically greatly over exaggerate the size of their estate, whereas people under 50 tend to underestimate the size of your estate. But when you include everything you own and everything you control, and by the way, your estate includes the death benefits on life insurance proceeds. So life insurance is free from income taxes, but it's not free from estate taxes. So when you add all this up, you might have a larger estate than you actually think you have. And so this is, it's important to try to sit down and figure out what is your estate for tax reasons and other reasons, and also to make sure that everything is coordinated properly together. So an estate plan is, is planning to designate who's going to receive your assets. It's a plan to minimize legal fees and court involvement and taxes. Why do people do estate planning at all? Well, the biggest reason we've already talked about, it's to avoid both death probate and living probate. So we've talked about living probate, which is you lose capacity. And another way to think about living probate, by the way, is if you want to sell your house, what do you do? You sign your name. But let's say you own your property jointly with your spouse and one of you loses capacity. 
Well, guess what? You're not going to be able to sell or refinance or do anything with that house unless you have a power of attorney in place or a living trust, which would allow for management. And again, you're going to have to go to court and petition the court to become your spouse's guardian or conservator, which is expensive, costing five to $10,000 to start. And then there's ongoing accountings to the court. So people do it to avoid also the death probate. And probate is the court process which people want to avoid at all costs because it costs up to 5% of your estate and legal fees, executor fees, filing fees, bond premiums, and other costs. You know, I'm handling dozens of probates right now. And, you know, it's gotten more expensive because now you have to have a filing fee when you open the estate and when you close the estate. You may have to post a bond, which is a uh, basically an insurance policy that you're not going to run away with the estate assets. And this process can take, you know, 12 to 16 months on average. Um, at least that's how long it takes in California. But that's the, the national average is as much as 18 months. So the assets are tied up for 18 months in this court process. You don't really have control. Your heirs who, you know, you might be managing the estate on behalf of others are wondering why this process is taking so long. And all you can do is explain to them, well, there's certain waiting periods. We have to notify creditors. We have to go through this whole lengthy process and there's nothing I can do. My hands are tied. Well, I like to think of probate as nothing more than a lawsuit that you file against yourself with your own money for the benefit of your creditors. Because nobody, and I mean nobody, has to go through probate if they choose not to. It's voluntary. And if you put in place the proper plan, you're not going to have to go through probate. Secondly, you're able to designate who's going to receive your assets and who's in control when you pass away. As I've already mentioned, it's important to address what happens during lifetime if you lose capacity. So planning to transfer your assets can be done with either a will or a trust. One thing, you know, I ask people on a daily basis, can they tell me the difference between a will and a trust? They often have vague notions, but not really a good understanding. Both wills and trusts allow you to actually designate who's going to receive your assets, but they do it in a little bit different way. So wills, they're only effective when you pass away and they don't control all your assets. So for example, let's say you have a life insurance policy where you've named your kids as beneficiary, but your will says, I don't want them to touch it until they're age 50. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little, but you get the idea. It doesn't matter what your will says. The life insurance policy will still be paid out by the contract to your kids directly. And they'll get it immediately in one lump sum, completely unprotected. Now, if they're under 18, guess what happens? That's going to be brought back into the probate process because minors can't manage assets. So now it's brought back into the probate process and then they get everything at 18, at 18 completely unprotected. So if they become a doctor, a lawyer, a real estate developer, just plain get sued, those assets could be lost or they file bankruptcy or they go through a divorce. Well, guess what? You can design a plan in a way that can protect your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids. Design a plan that will protect your family from multiple generations. And, you know, I probably do about 70 to 80% of my plans this way because it's 
the law basically makes it difficult for you to protect your own assets, but assets that you leave behind for somebody else, it's easy to protect them for them. And you can create a legacy. And if it's your desire that you want to keep the assets in the family for multiple generations, then you can do that. You can ensure that that happens. So the what are the advantages of a will? Well, a will is going to allow you to name an executor who's going to manage the estate. It's going to allow you to name beneficiaries. It's going to allow you to name guardians if you have minors. <clears throat> but we've already mentioned some of the disadvantages. It doesn't control all your assets. Wills have to be probated to be valid and go through the probate process, which we've just talked about. And wills don't provide it for any management of assets during lifetime. So if you lose capacity, a will doesn't help. You've got to have a financial power of attorney in place in order to do that. Now, on the other hand, a revocable trust also is going to provide instructions about what you want to happen with your assets. But a revocable trust, also known as a inter vivos living trust, is a living, breathing document, which means it comes into effect as soon as you sign it. And as soon as you sign it, this document is available to allow for management of assets. So it does allow for management of assets both during lifetime and when you pass away. And most of the time it's completely revocable, which means you can draw it up today, you can tear it up tomorrow, you can transfer assets in, you can take assets out. Your day-to-day -day life doesn't change in any way, shape or form. You do things pretty much exactly the way you do now. The IRS disregards it altogether. So you don't really give up control at all. Nothing really changes in your life. It provides for smooth management because you name a trustee, which is usually yourself managing the assets. And if you're married, you and your, your spouse and the ability, you know, if, if, if one spouse becomes unable to manage the assets, the other one just continues managing seamlessly with no court involved. And if both can't manage, the reason why it doesn't have to go through any court involvement is because management just changes to the person you have chosen and the person you have appointed your successor manager. It also can include all of your assets. It can include your real estate, your personal assets, your, your uh, furniture, your furnishings, your uh, stocks, your bonds, your life insurance. Everything can be included as part of your trust and your IRAs and your 401ks all can be designated to be the beneficiary. So this is going to avoid the expense and delay of probate. And a trust is usually going to be recommended over a will when you do have assets like real estate um, or other assets, you do have, you might have young children and you want to be able to control those assets. You have heirs who have disabilities, a business or other substantial assets. And there's many other cases when a trust would be recommended, you know, larger estates for sure to avoid estate taxes. And, and there's different kinds of trusts. So you can customize your trust, for example, let's say, you want to make sure that your spouse can't remarry and disinherit the kids. Well, you can do that with a living trust. You can put specific custom provisions in it. Um, let's say you want to, you know, make sure if you have an individual who has special needs that they're protected, that they won't lose their government benefits. Well, you can do that as well with a, with a special needs trust. Maybe you have a spendthrift beneficiary who, if you leave the assets to them, they're going to spend all the assets. Well, you can control how those assets are spent and when they're spent and when they receive assets. And as I've already mentioned, you can create a legacy 
where you can have multiple generations of assets and protect those assets against potential lawsuits and bankruptcies and creditors. In those situations, trusts are gonna be highly recommended. But one thing I find often is people set up trusts every single day, but what do they do? They fail to fully fund them. And what does that mean? That means they didn't put their assets inside the trust. Each and every asset you own has to be part of your trust. Otherwise, you have a worthless piece of paper. So oftentimes people set up trust, but they don't take the effort and the time or the attorney they're working with doesn't properly transfer the assets into the trust. And this could be really bad. The parents set up a trust. The parents were not my client. And they got a nice pretty binder from, from an attorney that said, congratulations on completing your plan. Now go transfer your assets into the trust. Well, when I sat down with the kids and we were looking at the trust and we were looking at, you know, I was explaining to them everything we need to do to properly uh, transfer assets to them, we found out that their million dollar stock portfolio was never properly transferred into the trust. So I had the unfortunate, I unfortunately had to give these kids the bad news that even though they had a trust, we're still going to have to probate this $1 million stock portfolio. And it's gonna be tied up in the court process for about a year. And it's gonna cost, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to $50,000 in legal fees and filing fees and other costs. Uh, they weren't very happy. So the important thing to know, and if you don't remember anything I've told you today, make sure if you do set up a trust that you do properly transfer all of your assets into it. A trust can also do things like ensure people don't fight over your personal assets. You know, even in Robin Williams, when he passed away, guess what they were fighting over? They were fighting over who should get his famous suspenders from the Mork and Mindy show. So you wanna make sure that your trust does everything that you want it to do, and we can definitely help you with that. Make sure that you have a proper plan in place. Now, if you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can always reach me on my personal cell phone at 818-405-8055. I'll be happy to answer any questions you have anytime and love to sit down with you, meet with you, take a look at what your needs are. Um, and I'll open it up for questions. Well, and Angelina said something about it. It happens when someone fails to put their bank accounts in the trust. Yes, Angelina, um, if you fail to transfer your assets, including bank accounts, potentially those assets could end up in the court. Now, if you've bypassed it by having beneficiaries, as long as those beneficiaries survive, um, then, you know, it may not end up in the court process. But when you do set up a trust, it's best to make sure that everything is titled properly and coordinated with your trust. And that way you don't have to rely on different beneficiaries for different things and trying to keep up, up with it. And oftentimes I'll ask people, did you name a beneficiary on an account? And they can't remember because they opened it 10 years ago, or it's not keeping up with the change in their life because they've had additional kids or, you know, this and that. So, um, it's best to have it, uh, you know, everything properly coordinated with your trust and allow the course, the trust to transfer the assets. This has been Estate Planning Made Simple, a podcast by LSPN. Join us next week on Clubhouse and on all major podcasting platforms.